What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 49th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. 49 and feeling fine, or at least better than Weiss and Benioff in this oh, case. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be talking <laughs> what that. What a bad week for those guys. God, I know. I don't think they were involved in that other thing that just broke, but I But mean, I'm sure they were had an executive producer credit, and usually with that means they get you know a steady you know income from right production so they've just lost you know probably a, a shit ton of money on that i mean a bad year probably yeah. for them i mean they won a best dramatic emmy right right like, like what the hell what does that, that even mean though <laughs> yeah. i mean but you made an interesting point though as well like everybody that's been kind of fired from you know the star wars uh sequels or 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 you know tv series in 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 the coming uh, future, so it's it's kind of interesting that you know, like they've been added to this list that includes you know Josh Trank and Colin Trevorrow, and now these guys. Although I will say, like out of those three, like Game of Thrones is still disappointing, but the production value for the most part, besides the Starbucks coffee cup or coffee cups and water bottles, has you know been still pretty high compared to Book of Henry, which was just batshit crazy and fantastic yeah. four which was just a mess i i'm more so you know it's like recency like bias of like the last season and a half of game of thrones yeah. is pretty bad but um and I, that was more so a joke but right it's just and that's what like people a, remember you for though right yeah. like it's what what's the latest thing that well, you've i mean done? there's like, a common denominator in those three people or three teams being fired i mean the out, the lone outlier there is the phil lord and chris miller thing who i don't right. think they like did anything poorly before they were fired they just did I think. things differently yeah. and that didn't gel with what yeah. uh you know kathleen kennedy and you know to a certain extent jj abrams had envisioned so you bring in ron howard <laughs> yeah a visionary <laughs> um but if you guys didn't know this is the untitled movie podcast each and every week eric and i get together talk about whatever <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's movies and entertainment and what's going on in the news and what trailers are out there and what we've been watching at home and sometimes we just shoot the shit and talk about uh what's going on in our lives in the world um eric i want to kick it off um with you just went to la last weekend yeah it was it was a quick it was less than 48 hours it was quite the uh the whirlwind of events and i think i mentioned that uh, at, at the, the end, end of, of last, last episode, episode that you were going you were gonna you were just about to go basically like yeah the next day yeah so how was it it I was good it was I, we've very... kind of talked over text yeah but... yeah yeah it was it, it was bigger than even the roma um uh, screening and 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 stay in New York, but it was much quicker as well because I felt like I had a little bit more time in in New York over a weekend than right. you know again staying only a couple days and literally it was you know arrive at LAX, go from LAX to uh, the Four Seasons Hotel, get ready, um, and then quickly there was like a champagne toast for the Irishman which lasted about a half an hour hour then everybody got on shuttle buses and went up to the Chinese theater and the screening was supposed to be um at around 7:45 8 o'clock LA time LA so for time. you it's already pretty late <laughs> yeah so 3 hours ahead yeah. right and so by the time they actually started, it was closer to nine because it was the L.A. premiere. So Scorsese and, and everybody Everyone, were doing yeah. the red carpet. And, and there was another theater 
um, that was having sort of like I guess the the public screening or like, like the, the screening extras for or like extras the overflow and, crew and stuff overflow, like that. Yeah. And the theaters themselves were like the seats were very much um, like an AMC theater. Like everything oh, was wow. just like a AMC. Um, but still, I felt it in my legs because I had spent you know five hours on a plane. Um, not to say Did that you have it, assigned seating. Yeah, so there yeah. was. So I sat somewhere kind of in the middle on the top, and it was it was nice. And and I think that the movie itself um, is a really interesting sort of look at both mortality and morality and the house that Scorsese and Robert De Niro have built for themselves in in the cinematic history and the landscape of film and it's referencing not only you know other movies that Scorsese you know loves but also their own work and it's kind of interesting to see this sprawling three and a half hour epic sort of look at the social political history of the time and sort of you know how it affects these characters that are bigger than life but at the same time also really kind of look at the work that they've done and I was surprised more so by how emotional it was okay um i was i wasn't not surprised by the humor there's a lot of humor throughout the movie that is very dark and twisted but expected i mean goodfellas has a lot of humor wolf of wall street obviously but he scorsese marries both the theology of his spiritual side and sort of his side grappling with Catholicism and then also the entertaining side of him that makes, you know, the bloody mafia movies. And those two things have never really come together before in a way that is presented here. And I think it's kind of interesting. Still not the biggest fan of the de-aging, but I will say this about it. Once you get to the 1960s, it's a little bit more... um, reasonable to watch and you adjust to it um and i think that when he shoots characters in sort of darkly lit or low lit um environments it sort of helps the film a bit more which we saw in gemini man yeah and and this is is much more interesting in terms of like what they're trying to do with it than just you know like a sci-fi clone twist thing like this is actually trying to show you the young de niro the young pesci the young a younger pacino and Pacino talked about this at the press conference where, like, they had a, a a consultant that said, like, you know, you have to think like you're a 39-year-old when you're jumping out of your chair, not, you know, the age that you are now, which is in your 70s. Um, but it's still very rubbery, and it's even more noticeable on Pesci. Like, there's a scene when they first meet, and Pesci is supposed to, I think, be in his later, early <laughs> 30s, late 20s, early 30s. Um, and he does look very rubbery, but once again, you get to the 1960s and sort of, you know, Hoffa dealing with Robert Kennedy and, um, you know, the assassination of JFK and stuff like that and what's going on sort of historically speaking, you get used to it. And I think that like out of the performances, everybody is good, but man, Pesci gives one of the best performances of the year and it is so subtle and quiet and sometimes it's you know, pathetic and intimidating, but it's n- like nothing he's never, he's ever done before Okay, as, as an actor. Like I That's was, exciting. I was like, damn it. Like you've been retired for nine years and you've been holding on to this. And like there, there, there's a scene in the film and you're going to hate me for saying this, but there's a scene in the film where Harvey Keitel, Joe Pesci and De Niro are all sitting at this dinner table and Keitel is grilling De Niro and it's an interesting th- scene, not only because at this 
time in the film, um, you know, De Niro's kind of a, a middleman, kind of hired muscle, and he's working odd jobs, one of which gets him in trouble. And it's interesting seeing Keitel specifically grill him because there's a subtext there that, you know, the the, the actor that worked with Scorsese first was Harvey Keitel with, yeah. you know, who's that knocking at my door, the Keitel's NYU student film, and then, you know, uh, Mean Streets, which De Niro came on as a really kind of uh, big, splashy, over-the-top supporting performance, and De Niro was working with De Palma before that. So, um, you know, seeing Keitel kind of grilled De Niro in this scene was kind of interesting in a way that it's like, oh, well, you kind of like took my filmmaker away from me and I could be having the career that you have. And not to say that Keitel hasn't, you know, contributed a, a great amount to, you know, independent cinema and, 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 and filmmakers even, you know, getting Quentin Tarantino in the door. But it was interesting seeing that scene. And then when you see Pesci and De Niro and and Keitel all sitting together, this was my Avengers moment. I was yeah. like, oh my fucking Because they've all been God. in Scorsese movies, but not yeah, all like at Keitel the same and time. De Niro have like, been obviously uh, Mean Streets and Taxi yeah. Driver, but like seeing these three guys that helped make Scorsese's career together in the same frame, sitting together, having interesting conversations about you know mob mentality written by steve zellian you just get chills watching it and knowing what the context of that means both in a literal sense in the scene but also what it means you know as as their careers and what it means seeing them together and then yeah so then the next day there was a press conference at the four seasons where so what happened was it was supposed to be um de niro only De Niro doing this press conference. And then it was an email saying, oh, it's De Niro and Pacino. And then you're supposed to take pictures with them afterwards. And then it was like, okay, now they don't want to take pictures, <laughs> specifically course. De Niro. Yeah, I've, I mean, Which I wasn't sure. surprised. I was disappointed because I was kind of excited getting yeah. it. But then it's like, okay, instead of that, what we'll give you now is 42 minutes with those two guys. Oh, and we're going to bring in Scorsese as well. And then by lottery, we'll pick where you're sitting. And so I literally, where I'm sitting now across from you was the distance between De Niro and I. So you won that lottery. And De Niro was only, like De Niro said maybe like five sentences (laughs) through the whole 42 (laughs) minutes. But when he talked, did he Marty talk, talk most of the time? Or Marty and Pacino. Pacino was so oh, yeah. animated. I could see Pacino just mouth vomiting. <laughs> but I also but in kinda, a good way. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, I, like, I mean, his like, stuff was really interesting to say, and like he almost kind of was taking like his Hoffa role into this press conference, and it was interesting as well, just because like I think he hasn't been given a role like this in a while that was really. You know, meaty. of meaty, but of of his standards, like sure, he's kind yeah. of been phoning it in for <laughs> years now. Like the yeah. last movie I liked him in, performance wise, was Christopher Nolan's Insomnia, right. which was back in two thousand and two. Yeah. Um. So since then, I mean, he he's good a, in Hollywood, but it's like yeah, but it's scene. a small <laughs> yeah. role. But yeah, no, he he is good there, and I I, I shouldn't say that like he's not. But it, it was just nice seeing him really excited to actually have a conversation but De Niro just sat there the whole time it was just like really awkward and kind of like you could tell he didn't want he could, he wanted to be anywhere else but there well that's why I feel like that that's why that the evolution of that <laughs> that you talked about was probably him being like I don't want to fucking take pictures yeah. like but then, he, when he talked he looked directly at me and I'm just yeah. like holy fuck this is happening because <laughs> you were probably they always choose one yeah. person to kind of direct yeah. there yeah and I was and I was because you were like dead center and I first was also row, one right? of the few people so I took a couple photos as they were sitting down yeah. but as soon as they sat down 
and did the intro, yeah. I put my phone away, yeah. and there were a lot of people that were still taking photos, yeah. and I was like trying Actually to listen trying to, to them. Listen, yeah. And then, like, even like I don't like we've talked about this on the show. I don't like Q and A so much, mm-hmm. but the questions here, for the most part, well, were pretty press, good because right? it was all press, with the exception of one guy who the question was good, but the way that he addressed. Scorsese was kind of cringy. So a lot of people obviously outside of, you know, uh, knowing Scorsese call Martin Scorsese, Marty Scorsese. But when you had this one guy ask the question, yeah, he's like, I have a question specifically for Marty Scorsese. And it was just kind of like, I'm sure. Yeah, you shouldn't be like, I'm sure it didn't seem like it was a problem other than De Niro, but De Niro just looks stone face in general, (laughs) which I, again, I, I applaud him for being himself, but it was just weird because it's like, yeah, you don't know Scorsese. You don't know him on that level. Like, it's Mr. Martin Scorsese. Yeah, or just Scorsese or something like yeah. that. Um, so, yeah, and I, and I wanted to give a, a, a thank you to um, Kate, Albert, and Sadie at Netflix for setting all this up through um, uh, Netflix and the BFCA. And, and, and I'm sure it was a lot of work for them and, and such a quick turnaround. And there were a lot of film critics that I either knew or hung out with. Um, via online or, or even our circle. So Rad was there, yeah. Karen Gordon was there, Bonnie Lawfer was there, and then um, there's a couple people I've met at previous uh, Critics' Choice Awards: uh, Noel uh, Manning, uh, Danielle Solzman. Um, so it was it was it was nice. It was it was it was fast, and it went by even quicker once I landed. I didn't really see any um, you know forest fire stuff or what. Yeah, have you. that like, happened. Well, it was going on when you were there, but yeah. it, it got closer as you left. Right, like they had to cancel the Terminator premiere. Last yeah, time. yeah, because the Getty fires have at just the been same so, theater you were at. So right? bad. Yeah, and I'm I'm surprised, but like it was so hot. Oh. And I got to oh, say, it was like you. 48 degrees. Or well, as soon as it? I landed, I felt it like I was sweating in my seat when we when we first landed. Yeah. So I got to tell you this as well, because so at the after party at the Roosevelt Hotel, you see a lot of people. So like you had Catherine O'Hara and Griffin Dunn were there. Right. Um, Bonnie said she had a nice conversation. Yeah. And, Ka- uh, and specifically, like, Catherine I don't know O'Hara. if a lot of people talked or knew why, like. Catherine O'Hara was there. So Catherine O'Hara was in and, and Griffin Dunn were in Scorsese's After Hours. Right, right, right. Um, and then I saw Roger Corman who was eating a slice of bologna or Sweet. Uh, meat. But, but he's a big deal. Yeah, Like yeah. nobody was talking to him or, or going up to him. I mean, he's the guy that started, you know, Scorsese, James Cameron, Jack Nicholson. Like you name an actor from, you know, that was big in the 1970s or early 80s. He's probably the guy that gave them their their first start. And then so afterwards, I talked to um, Bruce McGill, who is a character actor you've seen in a lot of Michael Mann movies. He was um, Russell Crowe's lawyer in The Insider. Okay. And we talked about Miami Vice specifically. I wanted to blow this guy's mind. So I was like, remember, I just wanted to say, you know, I'm a big fan of your work. And specifically, there's an episode of Miami Vice called One Bus, Two Bus, where you and David Sotheran are partners. And at the end of the episode, you're digging out a mafia boss from a wall before dying. Straits Brothers in Arms plays and he looks at me and he's like you're way too young to know this <laughs> yeah um, and then I talked to Joe Manzello yes so this is an interesting thing how this came about so him from Jurassic Park <laughs> so I was talking to Rad they had like at the Roosevelt Hotel they had like a cigar lounge and so I was talking to Rad and I look over and I see Joe Mazzello and Mazzello was over at the like the Kentucky lounge thing that they had and and I was like Rad do you know who that is and yeah he was like Rad was like yeah, it's just some guy named Joe and it's like yeah but you know who that is right and I was like it's Joe Manzello from Jurassic Park who plays Tim mm-hmm. and he Rad looks at me he's like 
what? Really? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah. He was in the social network, Bohemian Rhapsody. He was one of the leads. Literally in, in a Best Picture nominee yeah, movie yeah. last year. Um, and also one Best Picture nominee for The Social Network. And, oh, right, and, yeah. And The Pacific, the HBO series that was the follow-up to Band of Brothers. And it's even funnier because Rad's like, oh, fuck. Like, I should go back and talk to him. Because Rad was making fun of him for having a name called Joe. <laughs> right. And, and Rad's doing um, a TIFF. Uh, Q&A with uh, screen, Jurassic Park screenwriter David Keogh. Yeah. So he didn't know that that was... So I was the guy that pointed that out. So we went back. Yeah. And I started talking to... And I, again, started rattling off all these movies that I had seen... Um, to Joe. Joe. Yeah. And then I also said, like... Uh, <laughs> I was also a big fan of uh, uh, Star Kid uh, from from the, the, the late 90s. <laughs> yeah. And Joe's like, man, that's a weird deep <laughs> cut. <laughs> and so we were talking and, you know, he had some really interesting stories. Like, he was telling me that he auditioned for Hook originally. Yeah. And his audition or scenes were with Robin Williams. And everybody really liked him, especially Spielberg, but they also didn't think is he was... Is this pre or post-Jurassic Park? So I think this is pre-Jurassic yeah, pre, Park. right? And yeah. so everybody liked him, especially Spielberg, but they felt that he didn't work for the role. And after he had finished auditioning... Um, one of the people were telling his parents like yeah he's just he's really really good but he kind of makes robin williams look like a bigger asshole than he really needs to be okay. and we need to make you know the older version of peter kind of a curmudgeon but also somewhat sympathetic and you know joe is making him look like too much of an a-hole and so spielberg was like but i got this other movie i want you to audition for and it's with dinosaurs and stuff like that. And he's yeah. like, he gave the, his his parents and him the script, and said, like, "Come back and then like do that." And then he got the role for Jurassic Park. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. And he was very nice as well. And yeah, yeah, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. Sounds like you had a good time. Yeah. And again, it was just so quick. Oh and... my god, yeah. You landed Thursday afternoon, flew home Friday night, right? Yeah. So you had barely any time other than these coordinated events. Yeah, right? I didn't even get to go to In and Out Burger. Did you barely leave the hotel? Basically, yeah. Just to like, like it was literally yeah. like. The after party, I didn't get back until almost like three thirty four a.m., which would have been six a.m. your normal. Time, yeah, right? and then um, the sort of the press conference and and dinner or lunch that they had was at um, uh, one p.m. So mm-hmm. and then straight to the airport, yeah. pretty much right. Wow, yeah. that's a whirlwind, man. That's cool. I'm excited to see it. I uh, I bought a ticket for opening night at the Lightbox. So, it's worth it, um, and yeah. and again, it is long, and I actually kind of do think that like. If you can't see it in a theater, like Netflix is kind of the best way to go with this. Because you could pause it halfway through. Yeah, like you could you can watch it in installments, and I don't think that would take away from it necessarily. Because if, like, the movie itself is very engaging, and like it, it hooks you the same way you know Goodfellas does or 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 Wolf of Wall Street. It's yeah. just that it's long, and it's not like the pace isn't isn't speedy it works it's fast there's it moves just a lot quickly. there yeah and especially if you're coming off of a plane like I there, know, there were been... critics that were actually like you could tell the ones that had been on planes for five to six hours that were actually standing up during the film like and had to, halfway like, through to, yeah. to, to just stand in the aisles yeah because it was just too much on them and like even i was feeling it by the end and it wasn't against the movie it was didn't just... have to go to the bathroom or anything no or? i didn't I'll probably have to go 14 times. But I didn't, I didn't, like, I didn't even eat before then. Right. So, like, like you were even just, the, like, even the toast. Yeah, yeah, well, even the toast, like, all they had was champagne. Yeah. So, when we got there, they did have popcorn and, and, and Coke. Yeah. And so, that was, like, my first meal in, right. in L.A. at that point. So, but again, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm, like, you know, 
over elitist or what have you. Like I'm really like I really feel bad for anybody that's had to you know leave their homes and and things like that. Like I of didn't course, realize yeah, how you know, bad it was. The fires and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, you can't help that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, it is bad over there now, and I hope. Every, I mean, I saw that. Uh, I mean, the fires, yeah, really did get close to. I mean, they had to cancel the Terminator premiere. Arnold Schwarzenegger said he had to evacuate his home and stuff like that, too. Get to the chopper. um, So, yeah, really horrible shit going on. So hopefully everyone's okay down there and they get those things handled. But Yeah, I mean, this um, is where, like, social media can sometimes be a a good thing where, like, you know, you know people that live in the L.A. area that are, like, signing in to make sure that they're okay. It's, like, kind of a a relief there. Yeah. Yeah. but I'm excited to see uh, The Irishman. Um, we won't be doing an official review on the Reviews channel. For those of you that might know, the company I work for does some work for Netflix. So we're going to try to kind of not officially review it. But I'm sure I will give my impression. Yeah, I mean, uh, I talked about it now. And I will also have a uh, review for Rogers TV. Which we will plug on that cinema yeah. scene, Which, uh, yeah, we'll... And once I see it, I'm sure we'll talk more yeah. about it, right? Yeah, so. it's definitely it's it's definitely worth talking about. And I think it's going to be a major Oscar contender. And I think Joe Pesci... Pesci and Pacino, I think, are the front runners now for supporting actor. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Both of them probably make it in. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, my boy Tom Hanks, I don't think he's going to... I hope he gets I hope, in. I hope like, he if does he does too, not get in, I'm going to be pissed because, like, that the guy should have been I'm nominated like... for Captain Phillips wasn't. Yeah. And like he's he been, hasn't been nominated in a while, right? Well, Castaway was the last thing he was yeah. nominated for, which was 2000, 2000 2001. So twenty years. Yeah, almost, like. and I feel, and I think part of it as well is because like some people vote strategically, where it's like, okay, well, Tom Hanks has had his fair share of sure. nominations, and I think winning back to back Oscars for Philadelphia and Forrest Gump might have hurt him a little bit there. But he has been so good in other stuff, and like, yeah, like that Captain Phillips snub is ridiculous. Like even Bradley Cooper, who was nominated that year for. Um, American Sniper was kind of like, yeah, I would choose him oh, over me. That one scene yeah. at the end is better than anything Bradley Cooper did in American Sniper. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is that one movie that I keep forgetting isn't even out yet. So I keep it doesn't like, come ta- out till Thanksgiving. I keep so... talking about it to people, and then I hope it kind of carries through. But I was having yeah. this conversation with Jordan at work today of just like the Oscar race is so interesting this year because. Um, it's wide open pretty right. much, right? Yeah, like it feels like in, in the movies that are quote-unquote, you know, front runners aren't necessarily what you would consider, you know, your typical front runner. Like Parasite is not... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood even. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean Tarantino is, a... is, is, is cemented at this point and it's a Hollywood movie, but what's in... Once Upon a Time on, on Hollywood isn't usually, like, the Academy's typical fare, especially when it comes to violence. Yeah. Um, but Parasite being something that's kind of out of left field and even even something like a beautiful day in the neighborhood will be interesting to hear more people talk about it because they're not going to get a biopic yeah and that's what a lot of people i think are expecting, expecting and it's not I going hope, to be that i hope that's for the better though. right like i hope people go in expecting a biopic and go oh this is actually better than that yeah. which is what my how i perceived it when we saw it at tiff i think we were both in the same boat there yeah and, and speaking I, of oscars quickly yeah academy award winner david lynch oh God. has an honorary yeah. oscar so does west studi now yeah uh so does lena wertmiller um so does uh well uh, i mean gina davis had an oscar for supporting actors for the accidental tourist but she uh got the gene schultz award so and tom hanks presented it to her nice so, yeah. yeah i love david lynch's speech everyone i was on youtube and you can go uh see all the speeches on the 
Oscars YouTube page. Because um, I don't think it was televised, was it? No, it, it, there's like, uh, Kyle Buchanan was one was of the there, few guys right? that was yeah. kind of doing a live tweet. I saw tweet. his live tweet. And then, yeah. um, but if you go to their YouTube page, there are the speeches. And you look at everyone's, it's like six minutes long, seven minutes long for their acceptance speech. David Lynch's. 56 seconds right and he's just like you all have beautiful faces and like walks away right and and it is also just it was just great seeing isabella rossellini kyle mclaughlin and laura dern Mm -hmm. all there just a blue velvet sequel coming. yeah and i mean out of those out of those three i mean kyle mclaughlin's been working with him the longest and i was kind of thinking oh is kyle not gonna be there because he's not you know quote-unquote a part of the elite the way that laura dern and and isabella isabella rossellini are um, mm-hmm. But he was, and he was it there. was great. It was yeah, great. I mean, he was—he's like an excited kid. He was I know. Like, taking photos of him and stuff. <laughs> it was awesome. So yeah, shout out to David Lynch and everyone else who. Uh, um, like now, I wonder what he's going to do with that Oscar. I don't know. Hopefully, like melt it and turn it into some weird. I hope art he puts project. it in a black lodge somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of the lodge, we are going to see the lodge tonight. So expect a. Uh, actually, as you're listening to this, there will probably be a review up. I think we're going right. to record it right after. Yeah, so we're um, seeing it 8 p.m. tonight um, in real time uh, and at the Royal. So, yes. yes. And we'll, we're seeing Doctor Sleep tomorrow as well. Yes. So we should have a review. For so we're getting a double week. dose of horror right before Halloween. Halloween. And speaking of that, I mean, that can lead right into uh, what we've been watching. Um, I'll fly through my stuff, but I watched Halloween last night in 4K. Um, John Carpenter's. John Carpenter's Halloween. JC. Um, in 4K. Bought the disc. Looks great for a movie that's 40 plus years old, right? Yep. Um, that movie still slaps. It's great. Um, it's. I mean, it obviously is a little uh, goofy and, and some of the acting's not so great. But, um, man, that movie's good just from, like, how it builds tension and it's atmospheric and Michael Myers is such a presence and... The first forty-five minutes of the movie, just him stalking them and you know hiding. Well, and, and, in the in the Panavision yeah. rig that's yeah. kind of like a steady cam that yeah. Dean Cundy, the cinematographer who also shot uh, Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, um, it, it, yeah. It's it was it was ahead of its time, and it was the best. It probably is the best slasher movie, uh, ma- I think so, with the yeah. exception of maybe Black Christmas. Yeah, I, I love Clark's I love Black it. Um, I'm gonna try and watch the 2018 version. Um, maybe when I get home after the lodge tonight. Yeah. But um, do you think they could have? They wish they could have called it Knives Out, Halloween Knives yeah, Out. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but so, Jamie Lee Curtis um, is in both. Yes. Yeah. Um. So really, really dig uh, Halloween. It looks great in 4K. Like yeah. Uh, um. Uh, what else have I watched? I'm going to pull up what I've uh, been watching. Um, I am starting my Star Wars rewatch leading into Rise of Skywalker. We have a bunch of Star Wars news that we'll be talking about later in the show. A little trailer uh, talk um, on The Mandalorian. And we'll be talking about uh, Benioff and Weiss a little bit later. Uh, but I, I thought am, we already did. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll go into a little bit more detail. Um, but I, uh, I did watch, um, Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. I mean, there's, what else, what can you really say? Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm, that hasn't been said already. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely love Star Wars. I just, every time I watch these movies, it brings me back to those days where I wore out those VHS tapes. Like the, I remember that box set. Did you, which one did you have? I had the gold, there was a gold one, a silver one. I had, well, I had. Um, Cause the, one was widescreen and one was full screen, right? Okay. Or so were they, the, I had the black box. Yeah. The gold box. Yeah. Same. And then my, uh, 
aunt and uncle had the original the OG the like, OG box yeah. with like the like the painted cover of of like Luke with the yeah, yeah, lightsaber yeah. on the front. Yeah. So yeah, I I think I only grew up with the special editions for the most part, I think, because I remember the gold box was the special edition re-release. So you right? had the the giant phallic thing coming out of the sarlacc pit yeah and i mean the beak yeah sure uh i i mean a couple years ago we did go to a really cool um thing put on by um jason gorber where we watched all six star wars movies leading into force awakens at the tip belt lightbox and he uh, we watched the despecialized versions that time. Yeah, can't get um, away with that now, though. No. Those Disney fat yeah, oh, cats. God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm supposed to say that, but um, I mean, we just watched uh, Star Wars. Uh, but that was the first time I think I'd seen like a close to original version of those right. movies because I don't think I had access to. Them yeah, well, kid, those but... were yeah, those were the probably the best versions that you could see given yeah. the circumstances because the original prints have been either locked away or, in George Lucas's case, burnt. Um, yeah. But I think from the rumors that I've been hearing on the digital bits and, and Blu-ray.com and through secondhand is that they're going to try to remaster the original versions and make them available as well as the special editions. I think it will happen. Yeah. I think Which I think there should be both. I think there's, like, I don't think it, like, I think that, for people that want the original ones, they should be able to access them. And those that want the special editions or to continually have them... It's like having a director's remastered. cut, right? Yeah, like yeah. It's... it was like Blade Runner, right? Like, a lot of people do like the theatrical version with the voiceover. That's not one that I particularly grew up with. I was... The director's cut was my yeah. ticket. And then some people love the final cut. So, yeah. you know, like, it's all based on perspective and, like, w what you grew up with. But I just... The one thing I do believe strongly is that... They should all be available, and this will hopefully open that up. But then again, like you look at that Vulture article that um, Matt Zoller Seitz wrote about how like Disney is you know putting away some of these Fox titles, Fox titles yeah. like Raising Arizona and, Home and Alone, like, yeah, Alien, and and even uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is a staple of you know repertoire cinemas like The Royal, which we're going yeah. to tonight. Yeah, that that's unfortunate, and I mean they're doing like it's weird because there's they'll be doing interesting things like we ha people have been clamoring for the OG Star Wars movies for a long time, and yeah. it looks like Disney will uh, give that to them. But then they do things like this, where and Disney's always done this with their films, where the only time you're allowed to see them in a theater again is if they officially re-release the movie, right? They yeah. don't really show their movies just willy-nilly anywhere like the odd time you'll see something whether it's like a little mermaid pop up at lightbox or but usually that's timed around like a anniversary release or something yeah. like that right so i hope that means we'll only get what home alone every five years so it'll be like 30th anniversary 35th anniversary like that kind of shit or hopefully they become a little bit more lenient but with disney plus coming and them wanting to kind of leverage people um but i mean is it really hurting to let these cinemas play them a no it's not times. and like, it, i don't think if you're gonna go oh fuck home alone's playing at the uh the royal or or Lightbox. like guess i don't need to sign up for disney plus now. yeah like or i, I guess i'm not gonna go see whatever disney yeah. movie is being released that week because that's the other thing where yeah, they're afraid they of won't. competing against their movies but how do you like compete against something that's a new release versus you know a retrospective screen well they or... know the comfort that people have like if you've seen on 
I mean, stats on what people watch on streaming services like right. Netflix and stuff like people that. People don't people like just... watching new things. They right. Like watching so stuff that they worry with. that if they put something that people already know that they like, they won't be willing to risk seeing something they don't know if they'll like. And it's an, I get it, but it's also frustrating. So it's yeah, and it's also weird because like so, so like Scream Factory, for example, um, is releasing a new Blu-ray of Big Trouble in Little China, a collector's edition in December. That's also a Fox movie, and it's being released through you know a company that usually is an independent one that works with you know multiple companies yeah. universal paramount things like that to release kind of like smaller movies and big trouble already has a blu-ray release through fox but it's the same thing with like the fly so they're releasing a fly box set as well like what's going to happen with with those i'm sure those deals were made before yeah. so that's but why how it, long are they going to be you know out like i, I and can that see, like, won't happen anymore right yeah, exactly disney will i mean i don't know how often disney works with companies like that to put out some of their titles i don't know if they've ever really no done not that. not like, with not with shout and and scream factory but with the fox stuff they have and like yeah. those movies in particular still haven't been released so i have a feeling like those films you know uh you know midsummer next year will be discontinued i i don't doubt it so it, it's yeah it's an unfortunate kind of thing that happened with this kind of uh purchase of fox and i i hope they change their mind on a lot of that yeah. stuff but um but going back to star wars it's all yeah i yeah. agree with you like it's always nice going back to the galaxy and and so it'll comforting too. yeah and it'll be interesting it. as well to kind of look at it you know after rise of skywalker and see how you know this whole thing kind of it's wrapped up right yeah even now watching it it's interesting knowing what we i, th- I mean the last time i did this I, I don't know if I did it before Last Jedi, but I'm gonna watch di- the prequels I, though. I am. I'm gonna do everything, man. So uh, again, uh, kind of funny is doing their in review series of uh, Star Wars right now. So I'm kind of following along with them as they do it. Um, they're doing it as they do Terminator as well. So uh, it's fun. I watched yeah Star Wars and or I watched A New Hope and Empire basically back to back. I'll watch Jedi soon, and then I'll. Go, get through the prequels somehow. Attack of the Clones, I don't know if I can even do, but I'll it's put it rough, on. It's coarse, <laughs> and it gets in everywhere. Uh, I also watched Ralph Breaks the Internet with Nevis, and that movie holds up, man. Like, I think it will be dated in, you know... Five years. Five, ten years. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> as of just... I think it came out last year, right? Yeah. I um, liked it more than the, the the first one. So did I, actually. And I'm a huge video game guy. So, yeah. But I think they represented the internet better than they represented games in the first movie. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Nevis really liked it. She just was blown away with, like... And this is th- the same thing that I thought, was, like, how well they kind of depicted the internet. And, like, it was just very, very Well, made clever. it understandable for kids. Yeah, right? and, and just very clever how each website had its own kind of thing. And... and even how they handled the dark web. Um, yeah, it's great, man. It's so good. Uh, we watched Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping, um, which is one of Nevis's comfort movies. So um, she is obsessed with that movie. Well, Nevis so, is so humble. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we put on Pop Star, which is that and Walk Hard. I could just watch as a double feature back to back over and over and over again uh, for music. What, what was it? The four or five Tonys? Yeah, Tony, 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 Tony. There's a good right, joke in The Irishman about Tony as well. Oh, yeah, nice. Um, and then quickly, last thing I watched was Watchmen uh, Episode 2. Uh, have you watched any of it yet? Not yet. I'm oh, going dude. to this weekend. It's so good. 
Uh, I'm obsessed. I um, I'm totally into this world and everything that they're doing here. I don't want to talk about it much because uh, we'll talk about it more once you've seen it. But uh, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross are uh, unbelievable. Um, uh, I, I I want to talk about this with you because right. like I'm well, fully I almost in. feel like we should do a podcast or like yeah. a review of the season almost. Yeah, we could. Yeah, I'd be down for that, even if it's on the reviews channel or something like yeah, that. But I, it's uh, let us know if you're listening. If you want us to do that, we'll we'll do it. I just love the world building, and and uh, I, I cannot wait for more. Uh, quickly, Eric, what have you been watching? Yeah, so I'll I'll kind of burn through these. Um, Some of them you can take a little bit more time. Yeah, not, yeah we I, got just so everyone knows, we got to kind of go a little bit quicker than usual today because we do have this screening to go to, but we're good. But some of these movies we've actually already talked about, and we will. Um, on you know upcoming podcasts as well um so i already talked about the irishman um i rewatched dolomite is my name which okay. we have a review for in our review roundup so you can go check that out i rewatched dolomite which made me appreciate dolomite is my name even more yeah in the sense. okay but it's weird like dolomite isn't a good movie but there's something about it that i like more than say the room where right. like i'm not necessarily like i'm laughing at it but i'm also like appreciative of Does it feel more earnest or yeah something like- and what it's trying to do and what it's trying to be which is paying tribute to all these different genre styles within the black exploitation era of filmmaking and again rudy ray moore like seems like a sincere enough guy that he was trying to make something that was entertainment first and foremost and he's in on the joke right where tommy, tommy wiseau Ta- like yeah. tommy wiseau isn't on in on the joke yeah. and you see that in the disaster artist quite you know obviously does it like, feel more mean laughing at tommy wise yeah <laughs> i think like, it does and like there's part of me like we watched it a couple years ago um at your old condo and i remember thinking to myself like i feel like, like maybe tommy might be mentally ill yeah. and like it's unfair to be laughing at him this way and yeah. like again like it's not funny like it's funny because it's it's ridiculous how badly made this thing is but at the same time it's like well I'm, we're laughing at somebody who wasn't looking at it like that where rudy ray moore was making this b movie as you know a kind of entertainment kick and capitalizing on his comedic records yeah, and as he well. knew what his audience wanted yeah. and he kind of gave them that and they're right? fun it's it's kind of in the same way that like you know like something like Miami connection is right, where you right. kind of enjoy it for what I think Miami connection is actually even better than, than Dolomite. Um, but like it has that same kind of tone and it's very playful. Um, I watched uh terminate ter- terminate uh, terminator dark fate, but we'll talk about that more uh, on next week, next probably. week because like, we'll do a review. Yeah. I will say that it's the best, of the Terminator reboots and sequels, and I do kind of feel that it's worn me down a little bit to the point where it's like, yeah, I'll give this one. The a bar pass. is pretty low. Yeah, especially right? after Genesis, which I think is probably the worst of them, especially because the idea of the time travel and going back to retcon things was interesting, and I kind of think they shit the bed on that completely. And this is more aware of what's going on around you know America right now. It, it has a social commentary that oh, it's cool. kind of. It's still very clunky, and yeah, like, yeah. the writing is kind of terrible at times. David Goyer especially can't write to save his own ass. Um, but I think that there's enough there to kind of be like, oh, okay, I appreciate what this movie is is trying to do, even if the execution of it isn't perfect. Um, looking at this, oh, I, I watched Slender Man because the Flophouse did a podcast on it, and I hadn't okay. seen it. 
Um, it's terrible. Is it? <laughs> and it's not only terrible, but as like a 21st century, um, you know, myth, like, you know, the Bigfoot or Loch Ness Monster, it's kind of also, again, very mean-spirited because, yeah. like, an actual person was killed based on these, you know, online stories uh, and, stories and, and you know, the creepypasta thing and, like, stuff like that. And, and the movie itself, uh, directed by Sullivan White, who did, um, oh, what was it? He directed The Losers, but he directed one of those dance movies. I think it was You Got Served. Okay. Um, and as a horror film, like, there are scenes in the movie where, like, they go through these, like, kind of weird, almost, like, surreal visions of, like, seeing, you know, the Slender Man and other horrific imagery. And the guys on the Flophouse actually made a really interesting point. It's like, imagine if uh, Tim and Eric directed these hallucinatory sequences, and that's kind of what it is. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't think it's intentionally supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be shocking and graphic. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of like the Mothman prophecies as well. Oh, where God. like, yeah. yeah. But Mothman prophecies is actually a better movie than Slenderman. Which okay. Is crap. Watch The Shining, which we'll talk more, I think, with the Doctor Sleep yeah. review. But that 4K, dude, is how amazing. good is it? It looks like it looks like they they're like you could walk into the I, into the frame. Dude, I was obsessed watching it. I was. Um, I watched the uh, 1920s witch movie uh, Haxen um, on Criterion Channel. It's also available on Blu-ray. Uh, really solid witch movie. Very creepy. The imagery works. It's a little long for what it is. Um, and then the last thing I watched, or the last two movies I watched, which are both Scorsese related, uh, was Rolling Thunder Review, the Bob Dylan doc where he kind of went on tour in a kind of vagabond, um, troubadour-esque style of concert with a bunch of people in the uh, mid to late 1970s from 75 onward. And sort of, again, you're seeing the social political climate changing around them with, you know, Nixon and Watergate and things like that. And there's a great sequence where um, Bob Dylan uh, is playing uh, with uh, Joni Mitchell, um, in uh oh why am i blocking on his name um gordon gordon lightfoot's place in in toronto in uh in the 1970s and there's a scene where joni mitchell is in union station okay and she's walking around and it's like you know where the via trains are yeah, yeah and yeah. you see the go train sign in the station in the background it's the same exact sign oh, I know, it as it was in 1975 yeah, i mean they're finally doing renovations on on union station right now but right yeah but that stuff was kind of interesting and it's a weird movie because it's playing with fact and fiction. The beginning of the film opens with this magic act. And I think what Scorsese is trying to tell you is like, don't believe everything that you're going right. to see. So it's kind of like Martin Scorsese's F for fake. And like, there's a scene where Michael Murphy, who's a character actor who's in, you know, uh, Manhattan and an unmarried woman. You probably remember him best from Batman Returns as the mayor. And he was also um, the father of, um, why am I dropping on his name as well? Um, ben Foster in X-Men 3, where, like, he wanted to, you know... Forgot Ben Foster was in X-Men 3. <laughs> right, yeah, as Angel, remember? Yeah, like, remember he wanted like to give, abuse, like, cure his son it of... Wasn't he abused? No, his... Yeah, he was yeah, he to wanted to so son. Yeah, so Michael Murphy, but Michael Murphy's playing uh, the politician Tanner from okay. Tanner 88, which is, like, this TV movie about a, a politician in the, in the late 1980s. So, again, like, and he's credited as Tanner, so he's not credited yeah. as 
Michael Murphy. So, like, scenes like that throw you off. But then there's a little maybe too much Allen Ginsberg as well in there. Um, But it was interesting. And it was also just interesting watching that after having seen The Irishman and seeing how they're kind of almost companion pieces in a weird way. Um, Sort of, you know, what you believe historically and, and what's kind of created as a myth or a legend and what people remember or how you're remembered. Um, and then Kundun, which uh, just got released on Blu-ray through Kino Lorber Studio Classics, which is one of my Blu-ray recommendations. Perfect so segue. I'll, yeah, so I'll quickly say about this. Um, this is the only film that uh, Martin Scorsese and Roger Deakins worked on together, and it is stunning. Like, the transfer of this movie is yeah. so well done. It's more closer to the, again, contemplative theological side of Scorsese, sort of the last temptation of Christ silence Scorsese than the, you know, taxi driver, raging bull, mean streets kind of thing. But it's about the 14th Dalai Lama being exiled from Tibet and sort of him kind of reconciling with that and sort of dealing with uh, Mayo's death squads and things like that. And it is... It's a long movie, but at the same time, there's something about it that's very underrated. And we were talking just a second ago about the the Disney stuff. This yeah. is a touchstone movie. Oh, wow. So I wonder what's going to happen with this as well, because, you know, like, or, or even David Lynch's The Straight Story, which has not gotten a Blu-ray release of any kind in North America as of yet. Um, but if you're into... Scorsese as a completist, I would recommend it. I would even recommend it as somebody that just, you know, likes movies about somebody that's trying to figure out, you know, their their love of country, but also being rejected by the government and sort of being thrown away and, and, and what have you. And again, I really wish Deacons and Scorsese had worked on, on other movies More, because yeah. they make for a very uh, uh, winning pair. Nice. Yeah. So Touchstone, like Disney, actually put it, this out on Blu-ray. No, 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 no. So oh. Kino Studio, right? Okay, Kino Lorber bad. Studio yeah. Classics, but it was a Touchstone release, right? With, like theatrically, and Disney right. still owns the rights. So Disney did license it to them to, them, to release. Yes. So that's interesting. Like, and I, I know they have done that with Criterion with some Touchstone movies way back. Right? Yeah, like The like Rock, the, the and, Armageddon, and Armageddon, and <laughs> yeah. things like that. So it makes me wonder, and they're they're still available on DVD. So again, like it makes me wonder what will happen in the next year or so with those titles. So. If you if you want to grab that now, I would recommend Kundun as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think they're not as protective with the... That's why the Fox stuff is weird, and it seems like... I don't know. Who knows? It seems like only the shit that they might have... They might use, you know? Right. Like, they might... Like, Home Alone's rumored to have a Disney Plus movie or series, and, like, they might do something with, you know, Alien Home or... Stone, or right? Yeah, or any of that stuff, but... Um, I'll quickly jump in and do some of my digital picks before you, if you want to, or unless you want to list off the last. Couple yeah, I'll just quickly list them off. I don't really need to talk about them. They're yeah. they the movies speak for themselves for the most part. So, um, classic wise, uh, it's a wonderful life. And The Wizard of Oz are now available on 4K for the first time. Nice. Wizard of Oz is celebrating its 80th anniversary. Crazy. Um, and then American Werewolf in London has gotten a new Arrow release with a ton of new special features. It's one of the... It's my favorite uh, werewolf movie and one of my favorite uh, horror films from the 1980s. So I'd highly recommend picking that up if you're a fan of John Landis's film. Noise. Uh, for me, The Farewell is available on... Uh... Apple movies uh, for fourteen ninety nine. 
Um, That's a steal, guys. It is. You guys should watch The Farewell. It is excellent. Um, I didn't actually like write down any picks this week, so I'm just going to jump into uh, iTunes. I mean, we talked about Watchmen. You guys can grab Watchmen um, for 10 bucks on uh, iTunes right now. Usually I only go and give you guys 4K picks because that's usually all I uh, purchase digitally now. Um, if it's not in 4K, then I just wait. Uh, let me jump into the 4K stuff right now to see what it is. Sorry, my internet's a little bit slow. Uh, right now, MIB International, $10, not great. Crawl for $10, not a bad. I think I might have mentioned that last week. Um, there is still some Halloween stuff. You guys can get the 2018 Halloween in 4K HDR, $10. That's You should definitely buy that and watch that uh, before Halloween. Uh, Edward Scissorhands in 4K for $7. Um, Again, a Fox title, too. Terminator 2 in 4K uh, for $10. And you talked about that um, recently as well. Yes, I watched that. I, it is also on Netflix in 4K, too. Yeah. So you don't necessarily need to purchase it. But if you want to, um, it's there. Uh, Silence, of, uh, Silence of the Lambs for $8 in 4K. Dolby Vision, The Conjuring for $10 in 4K. Uh, Shutter Island, I think I also Your mentioned. Your sister's favorite? Yeah, I probably already mentioned a lot of these, but... Um, still a lot of great Halloween movies on there that you guys, uh, should go check out. So, um, uh, and I'm sure if, if there's other places I should be looking to, let me know if you guys want to, I can kind of do more research, but I just use Apple TV for a lot and we're getting that Apple TV plus dropping on Friday yeah. too. Well, I've already uh, been on the, the site. Yeah. I can't talk about it. Though. Okay. Fair here. Embargoed. Um, no, that's I thought the reviews came out, so you must have had a well the site embargo. itself, right? Like the actual like, have you watched anything? Or are no. you allowed to talk about that? Well, no. I've seen the Elephant Queen, which I I've right. talked about before, yeah. and I can talk about yeah because the reviews started to drop for some of the Apple stuff and they, yeah, the morning uh, have a show been, and see. haven't been great yeah. Um, oh, and so, Dickinson as yeah, well, and something else uh, that for all mankind or something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I'm. Alt These reviews don't movement. really do much for me either. I'm like, ooh, you really had to kind of sell me on this shit. I think they're yeah. going to have to really start promoting their A24 partnership to kind of get people at least intrigued by it. Like, they have the Sofia Coppola-Bill Murray uh, yeah. collaboration with On the Rocks. And then they just announced um, the director of uh, Madeline's Madeline is working on something right now. I'm just going to look up her name. I don't know why I'm forgetting it because I was talking about her actually not too long ago. But I'll mess around with it this weekend and and maybe watch the first episode of a few things to see what I think. But because uh, I definitely I do get a free year because I bought a new iPhone. So Josephine like, Decker. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but I have very little interest. Like the M Night Shyamalan um, show that I don't think is available on Friday. I think it's a little bit later. Um, I'm sort of intrigued by, but. Um, there's really not that much, especially after these reviews. Uh, all right, moving into talking trailers. Uh, we got some good stuff to talk about. Let's get some of the not-so-great stuff out of the way first. Uh, the new Grudge movie uh, had a trailer. I watched it uh, last night, and it looks pretty generic and bad. Yeah. And I don't I really like, have much else to I say. And I like, like that director, yeah. uh, Nick Pesci, who did uh, Piercing... And the eyes of my mother. Um, Maybe it'll be better yeah, than the trailer. He's, he's got like, a good cast too. Yeah, Andrew Riceborough, John Cho, Damian Bashir. Mm -hmm. Like these are uh, um, uh, Betty Gilpin. Like these are all highly qualified actors. 
in a movie that kind of seems below them for a January release, even the filmmaker. Like, I like I understand maybe he's thinking, like, okay, this is my end of Hollywood. I make a cheap kind of horror movie, and then, like, you know, I, I can move on to make something that interests me a little bit more. But yeah. watching that, or, and Jackie Weaver as well, like, and watching that trailer, like, it just, it looks ugly, too. Like, it looks like someone put, like, this yellowy, gray filter on it. It's not scary. Like, anytime I see, like, long flowing hair it's yeah. like <laughs> or hands coming out of someone's hair yeah. or like the i don't know like i think there was that one interesting thing where the kid got up i think and tr- turned into the grudge girl but i was just like none of this is really yeah i, I don't know i mean it just even the original like, japanese horror films were kind of silly with like yeah. the kids when they would you know be meowing and stuff like that and the and the remake with sarah michelle geller from 2006 was terrible i remember even even then watching it, I'm like, this movie sucks, man. <laughs> it's like, so bad. It's so bad. And I have no And then the idea. sequel as well with Bill Pullman. Oh, or no, God. no, the first one's with Bill Pullman because he jumps off the um I the barely. rail. I just remember all the marketing of that girl crawling down the it's stairs, not scary. right? Yeah. Like where she was like bent backwards. Well they're do, they're basically trying I'm to like, recreate the deleted scene from The Exorcist where yeah. Reagan goes down the stairs right, backwards, right. right? Yeah, okay, maybe that's what I'm yeah. thinking of. And then Ringu then... as well. Like Ring the, the Ring, Ring is and Ringu, good. Yeah, yeah, the Gore Verbinski version of, of the original. The Ringu is also really great. But that was the one that kind of kicked it all off and sort of like... To take these Japanese horror movies. Yeah, and, and the Eye was another one with Jessica Alba. Uh, the Messengers with uh, Kristen Stewart. Um, they're terrible. And now we're getting these reboots of them as if they're like, you know, cherished, you know, franchises. Like, did anyone even like them back no, when... No, they did well, but it's because they, you know, they fed... Like a preteen audience's interest in sort of and that's what these are jump doing scare too. films, right? And and yeah, like the early release in January doesn't give me confidence. The trailer's bad. The trailer didn't even. I made the joke online that it doesn't have the song "Give Up the Grudge" by Gob, which would have been amazing. Uh, Matt just looks at me and he's like, "Come on, <laughs> sure." Um, but yeah, it, it, it looks pretty uh, terrible. Like just I would generic. be surprised if it's a movie that does not screen for press. Yeah, I have no doubt. Um, Antlers. I actually haven't watched the second trailer yet. I have. You did. It's a lot of the same footage we've already seen, but it just emphasizes to you that this is a very strange post-Fox Disney merger that I'm actually kind of surprised that they didn't sell off to another studio. Like, David Poland um, actually kind of mentioned this and, and made an interesting point. He said, this looks more like an A24 film than it does... Uh, 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 even a Fox Searchlight movie, yeah, genre-wise, and it just right? it does look creepy and weird. And again, we used the word last week. I'm very, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic on this one because I like the visuals, I like the creepiness of it. Yeah. Uh, Carrie Russell and Jesse Plemons are the leads. Um, it's shot in Vancouver, BC. The only thing I'm kind of a little bit apprehensive towards is Scott Cooper being the director, right? When he's never done horror before, and his track record is kind of, yeah. Uh, not Mediocre. the biggest fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I dug that first trailer. I've been meaning to go watch the other one. I just haven't yet. Um, but I, I'm trying to also do that thing where I only watch the first trailers right. of things, depending on what the project. So is. that's so. opening in April of 2020. Yes. Uh, and Little Joe, did you put this on here? I did, yes. Okay, I did not watch So this. Little Joe is opening uh, the first week of December. 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 Uh, December. Uh, through Mongrel Media in Canada, and then in the U.S. it's Magnolia. 
they picked it up at Cannes, and it won the Best Actress Award for Emily Beecham um, this year. And it's been described as kind of like a sci-fi horror version of Little Shop of Horrors, but if it were more British. Okay. And uh, Ben Wishaw's also in the movie. It has a very kind of almost... Just watching, again, watching the trailer, a Yorgos Lanthimos kind of style to it and tone. Um, and it's from uh, director Jessica Hauser, who did uh, Amir 4 uh, a few years ago, which I really, really liked quite a bit. So I'm I'm excited to see her English language debut. And how is the trailer? Oh, uh, the trailer. Uh, creepy. Yeah. Weird and creepy and very subtle. Like, again, it kind of almost has even like a little bit of like an ex machina feel to it. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, Mongrel Media is releasing this in, in the beginning of December. And I think we should, I think we should reveal it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, probably Lightbox or where's it playing? Yeah, pro- probably Lightbox. We'll yeah. probably get a screener link or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then um, there's a few more Disney Plus trailers, but the one that I wanted to cover is the new trailer for The Mandalorian, uh, which dropped last night. And, and I did not watch this. Oh, you didn't? No. Are you just waiting? I'm it's just so waiting close? now. Like cause... I saw enough with with uh, yeah. the last one, dude. I'm all in, dude. I like, I I mean, we talked about Star Wars earlier, but like. I think this is the perfect outlet for these Star Wars stories, and I just love the vibe of this show, like getting a Star Wars bounty hunter show, and like uh, everything from the atmosphere to the music in this, it just feels like what we've wanted from Star Wars for a while, which is something that is pretty... Seems like it is removed from the saga that we've been so tied into. It is still in that same time period. um, It's in between... Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. It seems like it's five or so years after Return of the Jedi. Um, But I'm loving everything I'm seeing. It looks like a big budget Star Wars movie shot in that 239 wide cinemascope. The special effects look incredible. Um, Pedro Pascal as as the titular Mandalorian um, (laughs) is fucking awesome. Mandy, please, Mandy. And he just looks so cool. It's what you remember people thinking of Boba Fett, right? right? Like, everyone thought Boba Fett was so fucking cool, but he just looked cool. Boba Fett was a little bitch, though, kind of. Right. Like, I mean, I'm just going to well, well, up. Well, with like, the backstory that was created for him, right? But in, even in, in the in the movies, like, I mean, he's he doesn't... He's kind of just whatever. He's so and cool like, looking, though. He's so cool. So take that cool look and put a cool character, what it seems like in these couple trailers. And I feel like this is the Boba Fett kind of movie or show people have wanted for right. a Right. Well, long, I have a, a feeling time. that it was also probably rumored, um, like, like that was supposed to be the, the spinoff movie that I think was rumored so. a while ago. Right? And, like, I, I'm assuming there will be some sort of tie-in with Boba Fett. I'm, I, I, like, right. Um, but... Everything I'm seeing from Werner Herzog just fucking saying all this Star Wars stuff is just the best. Like, the voiceover from Werner Herzog and this as well. I'm just like, I am so into this. And, like, um, I can't wait to see what Taika's IG-11 sounds like. And just, like... It's really going to sound like Korg. I hope so. And um, the action looks great and stylish. And, dude, I cannot wait for this. And I was talking to some people at work today. And um, I'm getting very excited for Disney+. And I know... Yeah, they're taking over the world. We're Disney. We're all Disney shills, and like, um, <laughs> as I like saying, those corporate fat cats. <laughs> um, but this looks very good, and I, I hope it lives up to what we've seen. Because, like, yeah, the Star Wars story movies. Uh, I mean, I think are both fine movies, both Rogue One and Solo. Um, but one Rogue One being a little bit better than Solo, but like, just 
I feel like they're not necessary, but that's where this stuff should live is on Disney Plus. And like none of it's really necessary, but I, I we want this universe to expand and I hope this does a little bit of that, even though it's still in the time period that we, we know. Um and uh I'm excited for event based television again, especially on a streaming service. Like Well and also with it, Star Wars coming to an end, the the, yeah. the the movie universe for now. For now, right. for the next couple of years. Yeah. And then um I just like that it's going to be weekly and episodic and released at the same time every week, one episode a week, and we're all going to be on the same page, right? Like, we, everyone is going to watch the same episode, and it's so smart that they're releasing it on Fridays, giving people the weekend to watch it. So everyone on Monday, whether you're going to school or work or wherever, you can talk about it with everyone, and it's going to be... And HBO's done a good job with that, with Game of Thrones and now Watchmen and different things like that, but... Um, I think Disney is super smart going back to this weekly episodic kind of thing and Mandalorian looks incredible. And I mean, honestly, everything I've seen coming out of these Disney Plus trailers are super polished. It looks like they're putting a lot of effort and a lot of money into this. And like, I'm excited to see where the streaming wars go because I feel like this Mandalorian is going to be a huge hit because it looks like the biggest budget television show I have ever seen in these short couple minutes. Right. Um, You're really excited for uh, the computer drank dog semen. Yeah. God. <laughs> that website is If you guys don't ridiculous. know, go follow Disney underscore plus on Twitter. <laughs> um, what they're doing is basically taking a bunch of these rant. If We talked about it last week, but uh, Disney plus did that giant thread of every single movie that's going to be on the service, which was really clever and I think really interesting. Um, an interesting way of showcasing everything that they have. Uh, but some people have made like fake <laughs> Disney plus accounts doing fake Disney movies. And some of them are fantastic. Or I mean, a lot of them are fantastic. Right. Eric and I keep sending them to one another as, we, as they pop up in our feed. And that's what Eric was referencing with that weird. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's making fun of not only the Disney service, but specifically the computer wore tennis shoes, which was an early Kurt Russell, uh, yeah. comedy when he was, a, when he was a kid. Yeah. Um, Mandalorian, are you going to watch it week to week? Are you going to Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give it a go. Like it's interesting that like we've been so saturated with Netflix dumping, you know, full seasons on us for the last few years that it almost has become overwhelming where it's like it's all there for you, but at the same time it's like it feels I, daunting. Yeah, right? and, and and because of that it kind of turns you off and it makes you think like, "Oh, well, I rather go and watch something I've already seen because that's not going to Matter. be a chore. Yeah. That's like I'm. There's like an all or nothing kind of attitude when it comes to this stuff, where it's like, well, if it's given to me like all on this day, there are some people that are like, well, I need to watch it all right away or get through it as quickly as possible. You know, whether it be for spoilers or just for their own, like this is the only time I can do it is right mm -hmm. now. But with the classic kind of going back to the, you know, cable network television style of a week by week water cooler scenario i think disney is playing it smart at least on the streaming service side because they're saying hey like yeah we are a competing entity but at the same time we're going to release this stuff in a different manner maybe with the exception of films which they'll release the same way because i don't think they'll divide that into like no of course yeah. sequences but like with like lady and the tramp which is coming up it's interesting because we in canada at least haven't really gotten anything on that um, in terms of like uh, 
invite or you know a screener link or anything like well, that. Well, there was the news that they're not screening any of the Mandalorian other than that like 30 minutes they showed press last week or right. something. Like they're not giving people early access. I mean, access it's critic to proof them. and it's it's yeah. like like it doesn't need it, but at the same time it is good to have you know a critical perspective we'll on still get things. that but people will just have to watch it the day right. of right and i'm sure we'll talk about it weekly on on this show um i don't know if we'll split them up into separate reviews or anything but um yeah it's going to be interesting man the next couple of years are going to be fascinating um with these streaming wars and it, they really start It'd be amazing at the end of it. it's like man i did not see criterion channel becoming the the, the most popular yeah. streaming service no. out there no offense to criterion but uh going for a completely different audience i think than the amazons and the netflixes and the disney's but it's weird because amazon's always been there but it never really felt like a big competitor to yeah. netflix like it just felt like oh i pay for prime because i want free shipping and free things like that right and then which is oh, good though is and then the movies prime are is great oh, it's like, a great for deal their yeah. catalog stuff at least like i don't really i haven't really watched any of their new content but like they have you know bong joon ho's memories yeah. of murder on there which is amazing and you oh know, it's a great yeah. service i just don't feel like people talk about it like it's a big threat to netflix no. where with apple and disney and HBO now coming with HBO Max and uh, NBC Universal coming out with Peacock soon, which I feel like is the one that like I know they'll have Friends and Seinfeld and, right. and things like that. Probably, well, and Warner but, Media as well um, is working on something, which and, is HBO Max. Yeah, yeah, but but they have something else. Oh, they as have well. something like, else. They have an archival yeah. uh, with like old movies, and older shit. movies, and then also um, there was one. Oh, Kino Lorber uh, announced that they're releasing a lot yeah. of their archive titles as well right. and then and then scream factory has a streaming service for those for are Shout. like the ni- those are niche yeah I, I know but like there's there's so many options and you can only pick so many and then yeah because like they're not packaged like cable right like which know, they eventually they will be we'll be back we'll be back, back to, to the cable square wars, ones right <laughs> Uh, but we should segue into this from to the for, news to yeah. the to the db uh uh weiss, weiss and, and and david benioff stuff yeah yeah so um <laughs> They're so strategic, and it's very smart of them. So they drop a fucking awesome Mandalorian trailer, and then they also slip in that they <laughs> that they quit, right? Right. Or quote unquote quit, right? So the news came out last night that yeah, um, uh, David Benioff and DB Weiss, who you guys would know from Game of Thrones, but also some other shitty movies. David Benioff also wrote, wrote um, Gemini Man. And, well, I was and, I was gonna um, say the thing that I really like of his X Men Origins Wolverine. 25th hour <laughs> okay the spike lee movie which yeah. he wrote the book and, and adapted cool uh other than that though like um these guys like i mean they had a good run on on game of thrones but um people have been kind of shitting on them lately one because the last season and a half of game of thrones uh, the other day they did a panel did you read about this where they yeah there was like, a kind talk, of also passive aggressive like white privilege kind of like right. straight white male privilege kind of thing where they're like oh we didn't even know what the fuck we were doing they just gave us this and we kind of learned on the go and we just you know we just let the actors decide if they wanted something to do <laughs> we gotta like, find blame um, somewhere like, that's not us yeah okay um so and then they then they either get fired or they quit depending on how you want to read into this but 
Um, I'm curious of your creative thoughts. Differences. Like, yeah, it, it seems, well, it wasn't even, they didn't even say creative differences in this aspect. They just said um, that because of their Netflix deal that they don't really have the time to do both. So ultimately they stepped away from Star right. Wars. I guess it's and, better than, than like Kurt Sutter being fired from FX. Right. Did you see that? Like yeah. the reason why? Because he was an abrasive just, dick. Yeah. And he tried to defend himself. He wrote this big letter being like, I mean, he's always been that way yeah. though. And it just seems like with the new man, management coming in they're like go fuck yourself i don't care who you are right um and then i mean this is just interesting because kathleen kennedy and lucasfilm is uh, you mentioned it earlier on the show um and i think uh shit who uh terry um from ign terry from ign i forget her last name sorry terry uh tweeted out that like lucasfilm has now hired and fired as many people yeah and and the other person um, as well that i think has some creative control on that at least when it came to um Solo was Lawrence Kasdan, sure, who was another person that apparently really did not get along with, with uh, Lord and Miller. Lord Miller. Yeah, so it's just interesting that um, you have four filmmakers who have made live-action um, Star Wars movies, and then you have a, a group of people who have then been fired, and even Gareth Ev- Evans, right, or Edwards. Evans? Edwards, Edwards, the director um, of Monsters, kind and of Godzilla had to be. He kind of got pushed out of Rogue One as yeah. well, right? So, but it wasn't. The, but the, the the animosity there wasn't J.J. Wa- Abrams specifically because Edwards actually has a cameo in uh, no I don't uh, think the they, last uh, the last Jedi I don't think they butted heads or anything it just wasn't wasn't the movie that they wanted that wasn't really working and I don't even and they think brought that, in Tony Gilroy yeah and right? I don't even think there's bad blood like he played along with it and he was yeah. like okay I'll like technically he was the director on the reshoots and things like that yeah. right but I mean but apparently like Tony like again like Tony Gilroy's talked about like he shot almost about like fifty percent yes that's what I mean movie. right so, so he I, could have gotten a co-director credit. And I think Evans just Edwards uh, Edwards. <laughs> Edwards Gareth kinda, Evans is the guy that did the raid. The raid, movies. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he kind of understood and played along with Lucasfilm, where some people like Phil Lord and Chris Miller and 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 these other Josh Trank. And yeah, Colin and it's a shame because Trevorrow. like Edwards is such a good director that he's kind of been lumped in there a little bit with them. And like, if you watch Monsters or Godzilla, like you know that this guy really cares about what he's doing, and like obviously he has a visual effects background, but. He might have been over his head a little bit yeah, with Rogue One. Yeah, but. where I think like with Trank and Trevorrow specifically, and maybe to a certain extent, Benioff and Weiss, there was a combination of like the thing that you just did previously was, was so bad. <laughs> yeah. And like Trank and Trevorrow, like they have been known to be very controlling, especially right. Trank. Like Trank actually has has just finished or finished two years ago now, it seems, the Al Capone biopic with Tom Hardy that's still in post-production. Yeah. So it's like, what is going on with that? You know? And then, like, I mean, with Trevorrow, the Book of Henry is just speaks for itself. And Fantastic Four. I yeah. mean, I made the joke listing off the three bad projects from those right. three groups. Of but I will say, I will but... say with game of Thrones, like, yeah, like the last season or so was not great, but I mean, overall, like the build up to it was still a kind of quality that and I great can understand. popcorn entertainment. Yeah, yeah. And, and the world building was there where like them being cut from that. And then the other news that came up as well 
with them being let go or, or leaving. No, it, they were just exec producers. But the other new piece of news that came out today was that HBO is not moving forward with, with Thrones. The, yeah, with the Game of Thrones prequel that was starring Naomi Watts. Yeah, but that would have still given them some creative freedom in terms of finances, right? Because right. they would have had executive producer names. They would have been getting a steady income. And then the other thing is as well, maybe with the Disney thing, maybe partly it's because of them signing on with, with Netflix, Netflix who right? is now a big competitor to yeah. Disney plus. Right. So, and I'm sure when they sign that Netflix deal, Disney's going, well, you're tied into these star Wars movies until you signed on for a trilogy. Like that's going to take at least until the late, 2020s yeah and the netflix is going well we just signed you on and like we have to wait eight years or nine years before you get started on on this stuff for netflix so i don't know maybe there's some clash there and ultimately maybe disney wasn't super thrilled with what they were like turning in maybe or right. like or maybe um, they actually signed something more binding with netflix than disney maybe with disney was like a first look kind of thing it's like okay like come up with an idea or pitch us something we'll for we star like, wars and we'll yeah. see because it kind of felt like that even with when you know they brought in ryan johnson and you know john favreau was talking about doing another thing besides the mandalorian and um well they have a ton of things going on right yeah. like even um when they didn't want to show all their cards when people were calling them out for not working with like female filmmakers and, and things like that right which they're trying to kind of correct and, and add people but um yeah i, I don't know it, it the it seemed very amicable from the statement that was put out from both benioff and weiss and kathleen kennedy but like whenever there's something like that it always screams like okay if you guys really if they really loved what you were doing you guys would have been making these movies right, right? like they're not just they're gonna buying let, your name as yeah. much as they are buying your ideas and then right? did their name get tarnished a bit with the last season of game of yep. thrones i mean even though it won an emmy like yeah. it's just i feel like the, there were there was a huge fan backlash at that last season right and star wars fans you know are as fickle as anyone yeah so i mean you saw with these three guys with josh trank with colin trevorrow and with De benioff and weiss they all made very bad projects right before they were fired from star yeah. wars and i'm not saying that is the sole reason but i feel like that puts a microscope it doesn't help <laughs> it, yeah and it puts a microscope on your work too right yeah. where if if your last thing was totally acclaimed which obviously they all did stuff that was acclaimed right before right. they did their bad project, but they almost all shot themselves in the foot by doing one thing before they did Star Wars. Right. right. But this is also hurting them as well. And again, I'm going back to Scorsese, you know, talking about, um, there's an interview with Scorsese and Coppola and Scorsese actually brings up a really good point. This was like in the nineties where, you know, like you take a filmmaker who's done, you know, one or two movies that are independent based and then you throw them in the ring. He he, he used a, um, a boxing metaphor for this and you throw them in the ring in like a big match against like your ace fighter. They're going to get knocked out like they're not going to succeed. What you need to do is you need to build them up. Yeah. You need to give them okay. So your your first movie that was a critically acclaimed Sundance film was made for under a million dollars. We'll give you five million dollars to make the next thing. Okay, that was successful. We'll give you ten to, to fifteen. And that's kind of what like Blumhouse is doing a little bit with a lot of their stuff. And what Disney should be doing with Searchlight. Right. But it was fascinating to hear that from Scorsese back in the nineties, where like this was happening even then, you know, where like 
you know, a filmmaker that has a first feature or a second film that does really, really well, that's a critical hit, and then a studio comes in, snatches them up, gives them their big, you know, tentpole franchise ship to kind of steer, and, you know, whether they work on another project in between or... You know, they something are happens. working on something when they get yeah, signed Yeah, they can on. get uh, devoured by it. Like even Mark Webb, right, with the amazing Spider-Man movies right. after doing uh, 500 Days of Summer. Like I, you kind of feel bad for them because then like afterwards – like I'm not saying like the, the – I'm saying that the movies are, are good. I'm not defending Book of Henry. But like you kind of feel bad because then when the big studio rejects them, it's like they've been, you know, burnt completely. The bridges to yeah. the, anything They're they want to do next um, are, are gone. director's jail at yeah. that point. I mean, Trevorrow's going back to Jurassic World. Which is like a time, safe space, yeah. right? Like because you were so successful for them with that one. But I mean – He's if, probably lucky to get that That's too. what I mean. And if that movie isn't good – He's good done. luck. Good yeah, luck, like he dude. is really gonna have to like, like even if it go does, back to square one. I mean, it'll make a ton of money because they're bringing back the OG cast and everything. Like, it, it'll make a, a shit ton of money. But if it's a bad movie, like people kind of gave, I, I mean, I'm me included, gave Jurassic World kind of a pass, right? Because for the like, nostalgia, yeah, for the nostalgia, and we've gotten a couple bad Jurassic Park movies in between. So it's just like, all right, you know what? This feels comforting and like familiar, and and we liked it. Or some of us did. Um, and then after Bayona came in, I, I mean, we, even with him making a horrible Jurassic World sequel, I'm curious to see what he ends up doing. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's some – there's a thread there with the projects these these teams did. I mean, Phil Lord and Chris Miller being the outlier of, like, everything they did pretty much before then people were critically and – well, Gareth Edwards claimed. as well, because Gareth yeah. Edwards was coming from Godzilla, yeah. right? Which actually kind of – oh, speaking of which, the Godzilla Criterion Collection or out, pack yeah. is, is out as well, so yeah. buy that. Um, but Godzilla was kind of like a fresh take on this classic IP, and it was like, yeah, like let's get him to do it because Gareth Edwards knows both the visual effects world and you know the filmmaking world, so yeah. we can get him to do – you know we can hire somebody – uh, for the same amount of money, but for two different jobs. And then, you know, like he made the movie that he was asked to, but it just didn't work out that the way that they, they wanted more action. They yeah, wanted I think there were some script problems yeah. too. Right. And like, it, yeah, it, it's just fascinating that, I mean, I give Kathleen Kennedy credit for having the balls to, um, well, and also like, having to put up with all the male fans. Yeah. Continually and like, shitting on her, and but she makes bad, mistakes not the right too. term saying having the balls, but like having the guts to, um, to just fucking be like, this isn't working out. Right. Bye. Like, I, I don't care how big you are, who you are, what your name is. Like, it's just, if this isn't working, just, I'm going to, we're going to walk away. And yeah. Gonna, like, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised when everything's all said and done that maybe she would have a regret with the Lord and Miller thing. Maybe yeah. not, maybe not in the firing, but just maybe how it was all handled. Right. Because like, I mean, you look what, what they so they get fired from that. Then they go on to win the Oscar for Spider-Verse. And it's like, again, I think that actually really saved them in a, in a way. Like, not that I was thinking that the quality of their, their movie would be bad. But I feel that rebound so quickly kind of helped kind of show, like, no, it was we, we weren't the problem. In and they case. only wrote and produced that movie, yeah. too, right? So, and I mean, their next movie was set up at Fox. So who knows if that's actually going to happen, right. which was that adaptation of the... From the author of The Martian, right? Yeah, the uh, the um, Artemis. Yeah, Artemis, I think, yeah. or something like that. Um, 
And I don't not know, to be confused with Artemis Fowl. Is that still going to happen? Who knows, right? Like, yeah. Well, um, Artemis Fowl is whether or not sure. it's Disney Plus. That's yeah, we'll see. Soon to be seen. Um, but I mean, I'm not really that heartbroken. Again, like I came into Game of Thrones very late. Um, enjoyed my time with it. Uh, I do think the last season is trash. Right. Um, it's such it's such a letdown. Yeah. It really was. Especially for people who had been watching it, you know, on a weekly basis or, you know, after each season where it's like those first four seasons or so are so well done. And so entertaining, the, yeah. The strategizing of the world building is incredible. And, and, and yeah, inevitably you're going to have to come to a conclusion and no matter what, you're you're never going to satisfy everybody. Yeah. But they really shit the bed on that one. And I wonder too if like, I mean, it was rumored that it might have been a Knights of the Old Republic kind of set series or like way in the past kind of thing. And I wonder if Disney wanted to transition it into a Disney Plus thing, but they weren't allowed because of the netflix thing right like if they go you know what i don't we're not we don't really think this will is going to work in a in a in a film anymore um we'd love this to be a series and then they're like yeah we signed on for a movie because our netflix deal says we can't go do stuff for other streaming services or something like that so i wonder if there's something there and maybe they'll they'll take the nuggets of what that was and turn it into a star wars game of thrones style show right because that's what i think of when yeah because i'm sure they actually own what they were working oh, on. Oh, totally. Right? Yeah. So they might work on whatever idea it was and have other people come in and, and do it. And maybe it does transition into another Star Wars series that's more long form, um, kind of in a Game of Thrones style It that takes place in that era. Because I think people wanted Knights of the Old Republic style Star Wars content for a long time, but we've gotten in games and stuff like that, obviously. But we what have... I want is Dash Rendar. Yeah, let's just get that Dash Rendar series. So, yeah, I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see where they go next um, because it does seem like they'll take some time off after Rise of Skywalker, at least from. But they have multiple options, right? They're not I'm... counting, you know, all their eggs in one basket kind of thing, right? Where it's like we we have multiple creatives working on ideas and they'll pitch us those things and develop them and we'll see what works best for the franchise i just hope again that they actually go outside of the skywalker universe now yeah which i'm hoping mandalorian kind of does yeah but um and then we'll hopefully move even further into that galaxy from there um do you think quickly do you think the johnson one comes first or the feige movie that's a good question. I don't know which one would be further along. I mean, Johnson was obviously announced um, earlier, earlier yeah. but I'm sure, like in between having done all the press and promotion, and you know, final cuts of of Last Jedi, then moving into Knives Out, maybe he hasn't had a whole lot of time to sit down and really kind of like think about it. Like he's probably written, to it. Maybe, but the same thing like, with Kevin Feige. Like I think yeah. Kevin Feige is so busy right now that he's been spread so thin. oh i'm sure he hasn't even started his right because yeah. he has to start thinking about it then hire on a writer and and yeah and so actor, out of the two i would probably say uh, ryan directors. johnson will be first at least in the sense that like he'll have something like once he's done promotions for for knives out which he's been very much a part of since tiff um he will go into it and he'll dedicate the next 10 years of his life <laughs> to star wars to star wars so i think he'll be the one that kind of gets in there and maybe they'll even work together like i could see like him sort of working in tandem with feige in the sense maybe. that it's like oh this is what i'm working on if you want to do some continuity connections or right. something like that and try to build yeah. that universe but i'm sure there are other people too that we don't even know about that are that working are on stuff coming. like i'm sure even jj abrams has 
ideas that he's kind of gave to other people that he he knows. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like I could see, I could see even Johnson bouncing back and forth. I mean, this might be the next ten years of his life between a Star Wars movie and then something in the Knives Out universe with Daniel Craig. Right. <laughs> like just keep doing kind of that. Or he'll hand murder. over the Knives Out universe to yeah. another filmmaker, different filmmakers right? to make a yeah. Who Done It right with yeah. that and keep. Um, uh, Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc as the main kind of through line, like yeah, like Perot. Right. Yeah. All right, let's fly through this other stuff because we do got to get moving to this screening. Um, so we'll kind of go rapid fire through some of this, and we already covered a lot of it. Uh, Trial of the Chicago Seven uh, gets a release date and adds Michael Keaton to the cast. Hell yeah! Yeah, I mean, not much else to say there, but Aaron Sorkin, obviously. Um, uh, you got what? Who? What's the entire cast? Michael Keaton's been added. Um, he's going to be playing Ramsey Clark. Yeah. Uh, um, you got Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Seth Rogen, William Hurt, Mark Rylance, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Jeremy Strong, and Frank Langella. Yeah. Uh, great cast. Yeah, and it's probably gonna be a big awards film next year. I wouldn't be surprised if it plays TIFF in the yeah, gala October second presentations. Yeah. It will, 100%. Yeah. Guaranteed. <laughs> Calling um, it now. Yeah, and this is something that's interesting as well because, again, it's been in the works for a long time. Spielberg was going to direct it at one point. Um, it was going to be a Netflix movie. Now Paramount has it. So um, it'll be interesting. I mean, like, Sorkin really excels with characters talking in rooms. And this is a courtroom drama. Oh, yeah. So this is right up his alley. Yep. Um Pirates, getting that reboot, baby. Uh, no one asked for from it. From Craig Mazin and uh, Ted Elliott. The showrunner so. and creator of Chernobyl, the yes. series on yes. HBO. Yeah. So a horribly depressing Pirates of the Caribbean reboot. Right. Well, no, he's done a lot of crap. Like Has he's he? He's done like... He worked I, on he's so... Rocket Man from the 90s. Okay. He did like The Hangover 2 he was a writer on. Like, yeah, like, this is, like, the thing. Like, he made oh, yeah, fun he of did himself make where, like, he's done all this yeah. shitty, like... And Chernobyl was, like, the first thing. First good thing he's done. And it's, like, keep failing, kids. You'll one day get it, you know? <laughs> sure. But uh, do we need another Pirates movie? No, Does anybody care? No. I barely cared about the original Pirates movie. Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Earth to Ned is coming to Disney+, Plus, uh, which is a Jim Henson uh, alien puppet talk show that makes sense so like space ghost yes kind of so i think it will have actual um like human guests but so like space ghost so the host yes not since space ghost coast to coast have we seen a comedic talk show yet it's in the collider article um cool (laughs) i don't know i mean what will be the disney underscore plus uh version of version of it Yeah. yeah that's what i'm excited for we'll see um we already talked about the 20th Century uh, Fox stuff going into the vault, which is unfortunate. Let's hope they reverse that decision. Um, we can move on to uh, Tracy Letts and uh, Rachel uh, Blanchard. Yeah. Uh, joined Ben Affleck in Deep Water. Uh, 
which is also no that's a different movie i'm thinking adam driver joining ben affleck and matt damon that's in the ridley scott movie that's the the last duel yes um don't know much about deep water we talked about oh, it is before. this the erotic thriller yeah with oh, the, okay. a young man being played by ben affleck yes. that was the description of his right. character a right. young man okay and it's directed by Tracy... adrian adrian lynn who did fatal attraction who hasn't made a movie since unfaithful Sweet. with diane lane tracy letts in a in an erotic thriller <laughs> one thousand percent as long as he just gets all greased up in massage oil i'm there i do like tracy lights though so do i uh this is probably a big one for you eric because i I, or wait i don't know but jonathan glazer and a24 is teaming up for uh, his first movie in uh seven years six or seven years yeah yeah Yeah, Uh, so it's a world war ii holocaust movie and also sexy beast and birth yeah um so i'm sure it's going to be a feel-good film (laughs) but um yeah he's one of those guys that doesn't direct movies often and Anytime there's news of a new film from, you know, the likes of him or Todd Field or something like that, it's worth always talking about. And he's been passionate about it. And he sort of I remember him talking about it and saying, like, he wanted to make a movie that you see it from the perspective of the people that don't do anything and like what that means. And and that's going to be depressing. And sounds like it. (laughs) You're going to get angry. But at the same time, like knowing him, he'll do a pretty good job. Um so yeah, I'm I'm curious, and and again, like with Under the Skin, Under the Skin brought Mika Levy right. to um, a lot of people's attention. The the uh, composer on Jackie and uh, Monos this year, yes, and ladies she's and gentlemen, an amazing uh, uh, musician. Nevis Hiding arriving to the condo studio. Sorry, We're talking <laughs> about uh, Mika Levy and uh, her scores for Under the Skin and Jackie. Which I remember you seeing at TIFF yeah. under the skin. I did not go, and I've still have yet to seen it. You should give it a go. It. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I'll eventually maybe get there. We'll see. Uh, all right, speed round continues. Nevis, how are you? I'm great. She says she's great. How are you? She's in her Paddington jacket. Everyone go look on her Twitter. She is an adorable Paddington for Halloween. What am I going to be? Hanging out in Peru, eating marmalade all day. <laughs> Damn it. Eric and I will be going with Nevis, actually, to the TIFF Boombox on Thursday, which is on Halloween. It's going to be a big Halloween party. We're going to talk about that on the next episode. Yes. About, there's some Cirque du Soleil there, a whole bunch of things that have battle in the name. We'll talk about it next week. What am I going as? What is Eric going as? Go look on our Twitter, untitled underscore cast. Um, will everyone know what Eric is? No, he'll just look like Eric. I keep saying it's going to be beyond belief. (laughs) Yeah. No one's going to know. He's just going to look like a dude in a black suit. Um, Which I don't mind. What am I? Oh, the biggest news of the week. Cardi B is joining Vin Diesel in Fast and Furious 9. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Uh, Hot off her role in Hustlers. Yes. Uh, Will she have... What? What is... Nevis is making a face. (laughs) wowing at our apartment being clean oh we had a, a maid come in everybody um, boot- it's really really nice like um, it is I, super nice uh i was i'm impressed it looks very nice in here uh so i thought you were so laughing clean. at cardi b for a second but do you think she'll have a big role or no. do you think it'll be like what's your name um a, a different musician was in fast and furious was it iggy azalea no someone else in london there was a musician anyways who cares uh, <laughs> all i care is that if as long as cardi b is drinking corona uh, which will happen 
Uh, Tokyo Vice, uh, Michael Mann is going to direct Ansel Elgort and Ken Watanabe. <laughs> There's the another HBO. filmmaker that doesn't make um, a lot of movies because right. he's a perfectionist, but you'll take what you can get, yeah. even if it's with Ansel Elgort. Yeah, you hate Ansel Elgort. I just So is this a sequel to Miami Vice or no? No. I'm joking, but... Um, I don't know much. replace the greatness of Don Johnson. Um, I don't know. Um, Nevis, you can turn on lights if you want. <laughs> She's walking around with a flashlight. Uh, Inspector, yeah, I know. The, See, I told you. Yeah, I told you. Yeah, we said Nevis hates dust everywhere. Well, no, no, no. I said that like, when you come in, you're going to inspect the place with like a black light. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, made for condos if you live in Toronto. It might be in other places too. Um, I don't know what the fuck we were talking about. Do you know anything about Tokyo Vice? No, other than what you just told me. I like Michael Mann a lot, so we'll I see. do too. Uh, something we missed at the end of last week's episode was Adam Driver is now in talks to join Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in Ridley Scott's The Last And that Duel. Ben Affleck is only playing a supporting role instead of a lead, um, which is probably best due <laughs> to the subject matter and yeah. his allegations in the past couple of years yeah uh, but it hasn't been greenlit yet and apparently adam driver right now is working on leo carax's new movie annette um so and he it, found it, his dog yes they found <laughs> leo carax's dog uh, the director of holy motors um which is an amazon movie so it makes sense because he's shooting that right now in france and i believe the production for the last duel is also supposed to take place in france so he might just jump jump to the next thing and i think he's one of those guys that just likes to keep busy even if it's during award season and that's what i've heard is the best thing to do so it kind of like he always just likes working with these great filmmakers too right has he worked with ridley scott before no no so this is just adding another gigantic name onto that crazy it sure is first uh 10 years working which is crazy uh, i had the story about emmett otter and his jug band but oh brett mckenzie well yeah. they also i was just scrolling through and i mean maybe we can talk about it again on the next show but uh oscar isaac is going to be in paul schrader's next movie oh, the right Car i did Carrier. add that yeah yeah no we can talk about that for a yeah. second i mean uh re with a lot of the people that worked on first reform yeah correct so yeah i'm a thousand i mean will it be as good as first um, reformed what is and it's about we can only pray about a guy who's in the world series of poker but right gets into some like bad shit or something I yeah but i mean schrader's kind of focused on gamblers before and people within you know vegas and that kind of stuff yeah. with uh walker which had nick nolte in it so yeah i mean i i'm hoping for the best i mean i thought first reformed was unbelievable but yeah. um I mean, his track record before that for a little right. while was but not But maybe so this great. is him on I a hope. new path. I hope so. A new path. Will he get off Facebook, though, like a grumpy oh, old God. dad? Oh, God, yeah, that's the one thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> Will he be tweeting more from Taylor Swift concerts? Maybe. Yeah, God. Um, all right, guys, I think that wraps up uh, this episode. Eric and I do have to run. Sorry, it was a bit shorter. I mean, it's still an hour and a half. That's not really short. But, right. Uh, we're going to go run to the Royal to go see The Lodge, which you guys can check out that review. Um, which I didn't plug earlier, but we do another podcast called The Untitled Movie Reviews, where Eric and I get together slightly more professionally. and um, Only slightly. Only slightly. And review new release films, whether they're upcoming, like The Lodge, which won't be released until February, um, or Doctor Sleep, which won't be released until next week. And you guys can go back and check out all of our uh, TIFF content uh, on that channel as well, where we review things like Parasite and uh, Jojo Rabbit and the upcoming A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And, and some not-so-good titles like Motherless Brooklyn, <laughs> yeah, which, Harriet. Yeah, which all come out in the next All the weeks. others. Motherless Brooklyn, yeah, it's just coming out to die this week, isn't it? Yeah, 
It sure is. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the book is still great, though. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll believe you. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the interwebs, uh, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all of those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. I'm usually bumming around uh, Letterboxd and Twitter mostly. Yes, and I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my uh, reviews and interviews on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Marty, Kundun, I loved it.